0: Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Amen. I'm glad that you've chosen to be here this morning. I know that it's cold, but it's just as cold in here, at your house, or somewhere else. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Thank you, Greg, and those who serve with you in leading us in worship. If you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, I invite for you to join me in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to continue as we are walking um, our way through the gospel according to Mark. And when you come in, there's always some bulletins. On both those back tables, that I would invite you to get. And on the back of that, there's always notes if you want to use those um, to follow along as we study God's word together this morning. So, Mark chapter four, what we've been looking at has been in the Gospel of Mark is uh, Mark revealing who Jesus is to the world, and it's a message that he gives to the church that we then have the opportunity to share to other people. So, last week, if you were remembering, last week we were, uh, Jesus was telling parables, and he was telling parables about the kingdom of God, and he was giving some explanation of, well, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And what Mark is going to do now, as he has done elsewhere, and as he will continue to do, is he will put a little bit of the camera, the angle, the shift on Jesus, and then he'll shift it to the believer and to the church, and then he'll go back to the Jesus, and then he'll go back to the believer in the church. So as he um, has been kind of focused on the believer in the church in Mark chapter four, he's now going to begin to pan, and as we get into the rest of the chapter in Mark four, and he even in chapter 5, he starts to talk about who Jesus Christ is is. And this morning he's going to refer to show us, reveal to us his power. That's what we're going to see in verses 35 through 41. And then in chapter five, as we get in there, he's going to talk about his authority, his authority over demons. He's going to talk about his ability, his ability to heal the sick and the, and the wounded. He's going to talk about his deity and that he can raise people from the dead. So he's going to pan and he's going to bring the focus back to Jesus Christ to say, listen, you know who you are as a believer because of what you know about Jesus. And what is true about Jesus is then brought out in the identity and the life of the believer. They are both in tangent. So here in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read aloud through my copy in verse 35. If you will follow along in your copy. It says in verse 35, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling, but but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. Here in this passage, Mark begins to reveal more pictures about who Jesus is is. And as I said, he talks about in this passage about his power. I put there at the top of your notes, I I entitled it the sovereignty of Christ. Sovereignty is just a word that means supreme power. It's the authority. It's complete dominion. It is all powerful. It's the idea that he is, Jesus Christ, is dependent and accountable to no one. And so here in this text, Mark wants to bring the camera focus in on who Jesus Christ is. And he says, Jesus Christ has the power. And specifically here in this, text, we are going to see how he has the power over our problems. Sometimes we start to think that God, that Christ doesn't have the power. And sometimes we start to think there is limitations to his power. But if we will think about it, he is going to show us here in this text how Christ has all power, especially power over our problems. And so what Mark's going to do, I put there in your notes just four different ways that Mark highlights how Christ demonstrates this power. And the first one we get in verse 35, that he demonstrates his power in our direction. If you look back up there in verse 35 that we already read, it said on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. Now, if you think back to the beginning of chapter four, Jesus is teaching. He's got the multitudes that are gathered before him. He gets down in the boat. Um, This was down there in uh, chapter four in verse one. He got in the boat. He got a little bit away from the shore. Um, Bible commentaries and Bible scholars will tell you that it had an acoustic effect. It had a bit of an amphitheater effect, but he is there. He is on the boat. He's a little way from shore and he's teaching and he's telling them and, he, and all of chapter four is him giving them teaching and parables and instruction and explanation. All that is going on. And then as he gets to the end of what he had to say, he looks at his disciples, he's sitting in the boat and he says, let us go to the other side. Now, what is he talking about? Well, they're out to the see a galley So if you think about your geography, you've got the the nation of Israel and down on the south, you have the Dead Sea and then you have the Jordan River that, that flows into the Dead Sea and the Jordan River is coming out of the Sea of Galilee. Much of Jesus' ministry happened around the Sea of Galilee There's a lot of biblical evidence about what happens in the Sea of Galilee. What also happens in the Sea of Galilee is all of these men that are following Jesus as his disciples, most all of these men grew up around the Sea of Galilee. Most all of these men had fished the Sea of Galilee. Most all of these men were familiar. And so the Sea of Galilee was just really the shortest route. So he said, I want to get to the other side. The quickest way to do it is to go across the body of water. So what does Jesus do? Jesus tells him in verse 35, this is where I want you to go. I want you to think think about this with me this morning. That Christ has a plan and a purpose for your life. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life. And, and I've said this before and I'm gonna to continue to say it because so many times we start to have the idea of I choose my own direction, I choose my own path, I choose my own plan, I make my own choices, I, 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 and we forget that Christ has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Some of you may be far from that plan and purpose. Some of you may have been far from that plan and purpose and are now trying to rediscover and, and re-understand what that plan and purpose looks like. But regardless, every one of us Regardless of age, God has a plan and purpose for your life. God had a plan and a purpose through the Son, Jesus Christ, in verse 35. He had a direction that he wanted them to go. Christ knew where they needed to be even if they didn't know where they needed to be. Sometimes we make our lives more about where I want to be than where I need to be. And many, many times where I need to be is rarely where I want to be. And we will have this attitude sometimes, well, I will decide, I will choose, I will go to where it is comfortable, what is familiar, what I know. And so many times we forget that the choosing the path to release resistance, as the saying goes, is what makes men and rivers crooked. So we're not asking the question about where does God want me to be. I'm asking the question about what does my family want me to be or do I want to be? Or where is the popular place to be? Not where does God want me to be? And so you see how Christ demonstrates this power in our direction. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he knows where we should be. Why? Because he's God. And sometimes we start to think, well, God doesn't know what I know. God doesn't know what my guidance counselor knows. God hasn't read the story about the 10 best paying professions. God hasn't read the story about all the cool things. God doesn't know that I can get to a $200,000 a year job with only a 30 hour degree. God doesn't know all these things. And so we start to think, well, I've got to help God out. God has a direction for your life. And if you and I will just simply follow God's direction for our lives, then we will see God's power at work. Now, what you'll see here as we continue on, it's not that it's free from problems. But the safest place that you and I can be is right in the middle of the will of God. Not the easiest place. Not always the most comfortable place. Not even the most fun place. But the safest place we can be is right in the middle of the will of God. And so it says in verse 35 and verse 36, so that's what they did. God had a direction working through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, here, this is where I want you to go. So the disciples, they say, great. So they took off in the boat. There were some other with them in verse 36. And they start across the body of water. Then you get to verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. So not only did Jesus Christ demonstrate his power over our lives and our direction, but he also can demonstrate his power in our lives over our problems. There's a problem that comes up. Verse 37, it says, The windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat was already Filling. Now these are some guys, these are some guys that had spent some time in the water. These are some guys that knew their way around a boat. You can go in there to, to biblical commentaries and you can look and they'll tell you the size of the boat and they'll tell you the, 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 the characteristics and, the, and what the boat might have looked like. and they have all these ideas. Here's how I put it. They were in the middle of the body of water in the middle of the sea, and the waves were so uh, tempest and the waves were whitecapping and the, it was so rough that water was then coming in. And in those days you didn't have a bilge pump. You couldn't just turn on a deal. It wasn't like you could just turn on the motor, pull the transom plug out, and just take off and let that water jet itself out. It was one of those things that you're there. The only way you're going to get the water out of the boat is you have to bail the water out of the boat. And if you can't bail water faster than the water's coming in, you now have a problem. I doubt they had life jackets. I doubt there was a Coast Guard. I doubt the firefighters had their swift rescue boat ready. I, I just have this in my head that these men are out on the water and they know that things are dire. They know that things are bleak. But it can be easy for you to skip past what it is. It says, "In a great windstorm arose. Now, what do we know living in Oklahoma that is true about storms? Storms come and they go, they pass. Our problems are not eternal. They may feel like they're eternal in the moment. And they may seem like this will never, ever end. But our problems, they are not eternal. And so how does Christ then prove and show his power even in our problems he does it by not leaving us alone we are not alone because God is God and because God who is who he says he is, he has an answer for whatever problem we might face. God has a solution. In this passage here, in verse 38, Jesus was there. They were in a problem. The waves, the wind, the sea, it was all tumultuous, and they thought they were going to perish. The water was coming in. They didn't know what to do. All of these problems and all of these reasons to fear and all these reasons to fret, all these things were going around them, and the answer was right there. If you're on track on reading your Bible reading. And I'm just gonna be optimistically that every single one of us are on track so far. It's only 14 days. You've got time to get you got you got time to get behind later in June and July. But I hope, I hope. And so this morning, this morning, if you're on track on your Bible reading that we started together as a church, you were in Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew 14, there's a parallel passage to this. And in Matthew's account, Jesus is walking on the water. Now, it's not the same story. I'm just saying there's, a, there's another scene. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter goes, I don't know what that is. Jesus says, I'm God. Jesus, or God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And he's like, no, you, you can't be. And he's like, well, if you are, then tell me to come. And he, remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, well, get out of the boat and come. And so what does it say in Matthew chapter 14? That Peter walks on water to Jesus Except for if you got there this morning, and you should have, in verse 30, it says, when he saw the wind, he began to sink. Now, I thought that was interesting when I read that, because I thought, how do you see wind? You might see the effect of wind. You might see the result of wind. But you're not going to see the wind. Several months ago, Jaylene and I um, thought we'd get us a little greenhouse, a little hoop house, and so um, you, you start prying, trying to price some of these hoop houses, you will find there is a vast difference in prices of what exactly you want. So we found a hoop house. It's only about six foot two in the center, but it's small enough, and I thought that would be a good starter. It was cheap enough, and so we get it, and so we put it up, and it's got stuff even thinner than EMT. I mean, it's some thin, thin pipe. It's got a tarp over it, and we put it up, and I can see these boys' face. These boys' face his face are looking at me like, we're wasting our time. <laughs> you are wasting our time. This is not going to hold. And I'm like, oh, it'll, it'll be okay. And we get it up and it goes through some windstorms, And I even come home at the end of the day and why looks at me and goes, it's still up. Kind of like this look of disbelief, right? It's still up. It's not up anymore. <laughs> it, it looks like it took a direct hit from an F4 tornado directly to the side of it. The whole side is caved in. Now, what caused that? Well, wind caused that, unless one of the boys have been out there vandalizing. The wind, the wind caused that. Now, could you see? Could you see that wind? No, you see the effect of wind. So what is happening here in the text? What is happening here in the text is they are all fixated on the things that they can't see instead of the things that they can see. How many times have you and I been guilty of getting all worked up about things that we don't even know are going to happen yet? Just the thought of them happening turns us inside out. So, here in this text, they have a problem. They have a problem because they see the waves and that is real, but they also see, they're also fixated on the wind, which was not real. And all they are is getting all worked up and they're getting all excited. And they forget that even in the midst of their problems, Christ is there. But what I think is so fascinating is what is going on in verse 38. He was in the stern. Now, that's the very back of the boat. That is down. Uh, that's the whole back of the boat. You have the transom. You have the lower stern. But it's the, it's the very back end, the flat part of the boat. He is back there, and he is asleep on a pillow. Now, you would think if the waves were so bad, and the wind was so bad, and the sea was so bad that they're taking on water, and they're panicking. Maybe it's because Jesus knew who was in control and he knew he didn't have to fear. The model that Jesus gives us. Was he in the middle of the storm with them? Yes. What was the difference in his attitude and their attitude? Who he was following and who was in control. And I'm not saying this is you. I'm just, this confession sometimes is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. Why do we fret? You can call it a different things, but why do we fret? Is it because God is not in control? Is it because God is not able? Is it because God cannot? Is it because God has abandoned us? Is it because God has forgotten about us? Is it because God is not God? Or do we fret because we're following ourselves instead of following God? Too many times I can look back in my life and I see that the reason I was wound up, twisted up, turned inside out, was not because I was following the example and the model and the provision of God. It's because I was following myself. And so they get here, and God, Jesus had ordained their direction. He knew that they were going to face problems, and so all of these things were true. So in verse 38, they come to him, and when I read it at the very beginning, I put it in a little bit of a a, 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 a mellowed out moan, but really, if you think about it in the, in the context, they come to him and they say, Teacher! Why do you not care that we are perishing? They're they're, they're losing their mind. So what does it say? He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. Christ not only demonstrates power in our direction, demonstrates power in our problems, He also demonstrates power in our provision. He knows what we need more than we know that we need. And what he does here in the text is he addresses what I put there in your notes as the root. Sometimes we'll address the symptoms. Sometimes we'll address the leaves. Sometimes we'll address the branches. Sometimes we'll address the fruit. But the only way that we're going to deal with the problem at its most basic foundation is to deal with the root. Notice Jesus didn't give him a bigger boat. He didn't give them a bigger bucket to bail more water with. He didn't say, well, here's a tarp. You can cover the boat up to keep the water out. He didn't say, well, I will give you more strength and more courage to endure the storm. No, what Jesus did was he dealt with the problem. And what the problem is, is that the people, the disciples that were gathered in the boat, they were more fixated on the winds and the waves, the unseen and the seen, and the heart and the head, and they weren't fixated on Christ. So what does he do? He takes all those things that were being distractions in their life and he takes them away so they can cease from fretting and they can settle on who he is. One of the benefits about reading your Bible on a regular basis is not to read your Bible so you can mark a box and you can say, look, I did my Bible reading. It's that you get alone and you get quiet and you get settled And you block out all those distractions and all those noises and all those voices. You get alone with just God's word and the spirit of God. And there's something that comes with being quiet before the Lord. You know, we have in today, we have some of this new age mysticism stuff and, and medication and, and, and silence and solitude. And they have all these practices that you will find even outside the church of ways that you can just focus on the inner self and you can just kind of calm and collect your thoughts. And really all they're doing is replicating what Christ has told us to do from the very beginning. Get alone and get quiet and Listen. Not to yourself, but listen to the spirit. And so he says there in the text, in his provision, what was the provision? He didn't take them out of the problem. He didn't remove them from the boat. He didn't remove them from the water. He didn't remove them from the elements that were there just a few minutes ago. He did not take them to the the, the ground and the land. He said, hey, I'm going to clear away the distractions so you can focus on me. Sometimes you and I think that we're going to find peace in this world. Without Jesus. The only peace that we're going to find in this world is in Jesus. Before October, if you looked over the Middle East and in the nation of Israel, you would have seen the relatively peace and quiet going on between Hamas and Israel. You might have been tempted to think, oh, see, they're 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 having a truce and they're at peace right now. And what you wouldn't have seen is all of the work and the millions of dollars that was being invested into building tunnels and to building out an infrastructure so that they then could later launch an attack against Israel. So even though from the outside it looked like everything was peace and calm at the inside, because sinful people do sinful things, and because law Lost people act like lost people. And because Satan is all about bringing conflict wherever he goes, there will always be conflict in this world. And the only peace that we will ever have is in Jesus. So when you face a problem, the goal is not to fix your problem. The goal is not to solve your problem. The goal is not to run from your problem. The goal is not to get rid of your problem. The goal in the problem is to focus on God. You say, well, Spence, doesn't that make light of my problem? I'm not saying I'm making light of your problem. I'm just saying, make sure you know where you're focused at in the midst of your problem. Well, you don't know my kind of problems, and you don't know the things that I have to deal with. I don't. But God does. And God has ordained a direction for your life. God has ordained problems to come into your life so that you might be able to discern whether you're being dependent upon yourself or you're being dependent upon God. He's bringing these things about as well as provision so that even in the midst of the storm, God has not left you alone and he is there if you will just stop worrying and getting fixated on all the things around you and start looking at the things above you. So he says here in the text, you see the power of Christ. You see the power of Christ on display in the direction that he sent him and the problems that came to their lives and the provision that he had for them. But then look at verse 40. Everything got quiet. Everything got still. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? For many years, I worked in the electrical industry. And you get into more commercial projects and you get more industrial projects. They've got a lot more safety protocols And there's a lot a greater distance between you and the danger. But sometimes in the oil field, we work on the more practical side. We're not worried about a calorie suit. We're worried about that stuff out of the ground coming out so we can sell it. So you will find yourselves in situations that look sketchy because they are sketchy. So they've got these fuses, top of your pole, you, you've seen them drive and you just didn't know what you're looking at. And these, these fuses have a, a, a wire in them. And the idea is that if the current through that fuse exceeds a certain level, that fuse will blow in half and the, the circuit will be disconnected. So that fuse will blow and that uh, barrel as it's called will fall out and so your job is to go back and the way you restore power from this point to that point is you got to replace that fuse and they're all different sizes depending upon the load depending on what's down there and so sometimes instead of knowing what's down there whether it's good or bad you just go up and you you pull that barrel down you place that wire and you put that fuse back in and you push it back in and if everything's going well it pushes back in and all of a sudden you hear stuff start running and you're like oh man I'm the hero and sometimes when you push that thing back in, whatever downstream is still angry and mad. And it makes that thing blow apart. And sometimes that thing will blow apart and just do a... Pssst. And then sometimes it's an explosion that makes you pee yourself a little bit. Not me. I mean, I'm, I've seen other people do it. I've seen other people do it. But it just kind of depends. Well, the problem is, is that when you go to push the, when you go to push that fuse in, you have to be right below it. I can't be half a mile away and do it. I can't be three blocks away and do it. I can't be above it and do it. I have to be below it and I have to do it. And so what I would do is I have my hard hat on sometimes. I'd have earplugs in depending on how big the fuse was. And it would sit there and I would, I, I would, I would push it in and I would just kind of because you don't know what's going to happen. So let's say you said, you're Matthew Gillentine. You're like, Spence, i want to go to work with you one day. And i was like, okay. So you show up and you, and you ride around with me and we get to one of those points. And, and what I would do is I, I did it with everybody. I would say, listen, here's what's going to happen. We're going to do this. I'm going to push this back in. This thing could be fine and this thing might go big bang. If it goes big bang, don't run. There's nowhere for you to go. It's not going to chase you. And it's not going to follow you. There's no reason to run. And yet, it doesn't matter. I could have told Matthew 10,000 times, don't run. As soon as I do that, and it goes bang. Why? Because we're fearful. Because we don't know what to properly be afraid of. So we're just afraid of everything. How does this relate to here? Here. Jesus was able to sleep on the cushion in the stern because he knew he didn't have to be afraid of the water if he was afraid of the creator of the water. He didn't have to be afraid of the problem because he knew that God had put him there to show his faithfulness in the midst of the problem. He didn't have to be afraid. Fretful, he didn't have to fear what could not take away his eternity as long as he knew who held his eternity in his Am I trying to say that, 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 that you cannot have anxiety or fear or anxiousness? No, I'm just saying that in the midst of that, ask yourselves the question, what is it that I am fretting over? Am I fretting over the inability of God? Am I fretting over the abandonment of God? Or am I fretting over me not being in control and me not knowing who's in charge? So he says in verse 40, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Christ demonstrates his power to us in our direction, in our problems, in his provision, but then also in his patience. He had already told them who he was. John the Baptist had already told them who he was. He had already explained to them very clearly who he was, what he was doing. And yet when the time of testing came and when the point of saying, this is how I'm going to demonstrate and live out what I say I believe, they bailed. And you know, it's just like Jesus that despite my doubts, he still provides because his goodness is not based upon my performance. And it can be easy for you and I to start to think that God's opinion of us is based upon my performance before him. Because we do that even in the church, don't we? We come to church, and we put on the part. We act the part. We stand up. We sit down. We come in there, and we play the biblical ping pong. How are you doing? Fine, 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 fine. And everybody shows the part, and everybody says, are you healthy spiritually? Oh, yeah. Are you reading your Bible? Oh, you know it. And we come to church, and we act like we got everything together. And yet, every single one of us are in one seat or another on the struggle bus of life. And all of us have a bucket of problems, and all of us have a handful of doubts, and all of us are dealing with issues in our lives, and yet even in the midst of our doubts, he still provides for us. And it's not based upon your performance. It's not based upon your your intelligence. It's not based upon your knowledge. It's based upon the goodness of God. So he looks at him in verse 40 and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He doesn't look at him. He's not mad at him. He doesn't look at him and say, shame on you. He doesn't look at him and say, I told you. He didn't look at him and say, I knew you were going to fail. He didn't look at them and belittle them, berate them, in my sanctified imagination, he looks at him and says, why? What are you scared of? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know what I can do? Why are you so scared when I'm here? And I'm reminded over and over again, even when I don't practice faith he does practice faithfulness and sometimes that faithfulness is most understood and most seen in the darkest of our problems now i realize there's some problems that you and i behave ourselves into and we should not give credit to god on that <laughs> i mean there's some things that you and i rebel ourselves into that even despite the Holy Spirit and even despite the conviction of the Holy Spirit and even despite the godly people around you saying, don't do that. You and I behaved ourselves and lived ourselves and rebelled ourselves and send ourselves into a situation. We don't look around and say, okay, God, it's your problem now. No, we need to repent, return back to him, pass away that sin, confess that sin to him and then trust in him. So I'm not saying that every time you behave yourself into the dumb stuff, that now he has to come and rescue you from the dumb stuff. Sometimes Sometimes you need to repent and confess and then trust that he will then lead you in the direction he wants you to go But also it could be that you're right where God wants you to be so that he can demonstrate his power over your problem if you will just stop being fixated on your problem and start focusing on him If you go back to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7, it talks about if we pray to him, and this is a paraphrase, if we trust in him, if we turn to him, if we depend upon him, then the peace that surpasses all understanding, then that stuff will come. But what has to happen is I first have to then depend upon God to then see the provision of God. As these boys have grown up, we have a changing table. I may have told you this before, but it's just something that just sticks into my head. There's a changing table sitting right there. So you lay them down, and you change their diaper, and you stand them back up. And they're all just smiles and giggles because they didn't have to clean themselves up. And they're like, see, got you again. And so, and they've got this whole smile on your face. So what I would do is, and I still do it. So um, let's say his, his, his two little feet are right here, and I just stand back. And, you know, first of all, you pick them up, and you set them down. And then, and then you step a little back further, and you want them to, like, reach towards you. You want them to lean towards you. And as they get older and older, you, you step further and further back. And the idea is, do you trust me enough that you're willing to jump, that you're willing to leap? And and it's this concept that first thing they want to do is they just want to try to reach out as far as they can to try to touch you, right? They want to, they want to bridge that gap by seeing if they can reach you and if they can reach you, and then they can feel once they have a hold of something, then they can lean forward and then they can come after you. But it's only when they realize that the only way they're going to get to you is they have to leave the table And trust that you'll catch them. There's too many of us professing Christians today that are sitting on the table of life in this world saying, Jesus, I will come to you if I can just reach out and touch you first. And that's not what following Jesus means. Following Jesus means that you know that where you're at on the table is going to lead to death and hell for an eternity. And the only hope you have is dying to that self and jumping to salvation and the forgiveness of God. So some of us here this morning are in a position because we are in problems. And those problems are very real, and I'm not trying to make light of those problems. But in the midst of the problems, we can become fixated on the wrong things. And now we're focusing on ourselves instead of on God. We're, we're, focusing, on, uh, we're focusing on the distractions and, and the things that make us fearful and not focusing on who God is. And we're, and we're not seeing the power of God on, on display. So then, so then how does this then come down? We, we talk about these three core values uh, in quite a bit here in this church. Build families, teach the Bible, be the church. Those are the three main core values that we're just going to say this is who we are, and this is what we want. This is what we're going to just make ministry about in Wellston. So, how does the power of Christ and display over our problems then help us build families, teach the Bible, and be the church? I'll put there at the the very first one there in your notes at the bottom Fred is a problem, and faith is the answer. Please do not hear me that I'm trying to dole out any shame or disgust. This isn't a moment to pile on anybody that struggles with doubt or concerns or fear or fret. Because I do. I do. You may fret about different things than I do. And I'll fret about different things than you do. But if there's any of us in this room that says, hey, I don't ever worry about anything, you need to start worrying about being a liar. Because every single one of this room has things that the world will try to bring, and we, and we call it a lot of different things. We might call it worry. We might call it anxiousness. We might call it fret. We, we can call it a lot of different things. But every single one of us in this room deals with that on one level or another. So how do we interpret that? We interpret that as that is not a fruit of the Spirit. Faith is the answer. So what I am being pressed into as I'm looking at this passage is that when these things come, and they will come, what do I do? I look past the distraction, and I look past the wind and the wave, and I look past the temporal things. And I look to God and say, God, I don't know. And God, I need a lot of help. But God, there is no other greater place than I can depend than on you. Fred is a problem. Faith is the answer. And that is something that you and I can be bold and we can be passionate about sharing with this community. But then there's a second one that I think is just as important. We will not face a problem out of his control. You sure, Spence, what if we get five inches of snow today and two inches of ice? He's still in control. What if a major storm comes upon us? He's still in control. What if my doctor's appointment this week is worse than I can imagine? He's still in control. Well, I don't understand how he can be in control and let these things happen. I'm not trying to explain to you the mind and the workings of God. I'm just telling you that because he is God, he is never out of control. We will not face a problem out of his control. And maybe instead of you and I demanding that God gives us an answer for our problems, maybe we should be looking to God and say, God, show me your power in my problem. God, maybe instead of me getting fixated on me and my lack of happiness and my lack of contentment and my lack of peace and my lack of all of these things, maybe I should take this time to say, what do you have to show me in the middle of these things? Jocko Willink is a Navy SEAL, decorated Navy SEAL, bit of a social personality and in some of his motivational talks, he will refer that on the missions and in the service of the country, he would get in times where it was cold and it was dark and it was difficult. And somebody would come up with another problem and come up with another challenge and come up with another chink in the armor. That his response was always good. Not because he enjoyed it, but because he knew that whatever it was going to be, he was going to be able to learn and benefit from. And so he chose to change his attitude from agony and despair, oh pitiful me, to good. Maybe some of us this morning need to look at the problems that we walked in here holding on to. I say, God. Maybe these aren't problems. Maybe these are opportunities for you to demonstrate your power in my life. Mark's going to show us the power of Christ. And I don't think it's just a story that we just see in Scripture. I think it's a story that we can see each and every day. If we will just look and trust in him. You bow your heads with me. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.